There we go. It's working now. All right. So welcome back to the podcast today. I have the first of what's going to be kind of a mini series here. One of the fellas, Carlo Valdez, all-star member of Movember. He is also a renowned beer connoisseur, as well as a two-time Olympian in the sport of bobsled. So welcome to the show, Carlo. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited. We have a good chat, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So for those that don't follow me, or that fo- those that do follow me, probably are going to know about you for the first time for here. So we'll start off just chatting about who you are. Obviously, you and I met through bobsled. That was our connection there. Um, what a lot of people are always interested in, in talking about or hearing about, especially from people that they don't know and they know about the sport of bobsled is how you originally got into that sport. So I guess that will be a good start for just kind of introducing yeah. like how we ended up meeting. And then, like I said, with, with Carlo and, and guys with the fellas, there's no outline. It's just the, the conversation just flows and that's sort of how the episode's going to go. So let's start off with like pre bobsled. What, sports Mm -hmm. i guess like i know the answers to this but like your collegiate career in athletics and then what led you into the sport of bobsled yeah i'll just go like a like a brief timeline so um i'm from here in california uh born and raised grew up doing like four or five sports you know every year uh which is what i think all kids should do just get in every sport and just be active um and then i went to marty high school which is uh you know, a very popular athletic high school now, uh, especially with football, basketball, you name it. Like, you know, they're just a powerhouse now. Um, focus on, yeah, focused on football and track while I was there. Um, and then when I went to UCLA, um, I went, I, I was trying to do both sports. I was, I was doing football my first year and track my first year, but realized I had to pick one. So I chose track and uh, I was a sprinter my whole life. Um, and then I actually did the cap on my first year and then transitioned into javelin. Um, and then in football as a receiver and safety most of my life. Um, but yeah, focused on javelin for the rest of my time there. And, uh, and I was always fast and then I got strong or I should say I got stronger. Um, and I got bigger. So I went from like 190 pounds to 220. And then that's how bob you know, got brought up. Uh, my track coach at UCLA is the one that told me I should try out. And then that's when my teammate, uh, Andreas Jabal, um, went out because he was two years ahead of me. And then he made the team. And then actually Nick Taylor, um, you know, Alana's husband, was a grad assistant there also at the same time. And he, he and Andreas went out and made it. And then the second they made the team, my coach was like, all right, if they can make it, then you can make it. Um, so... That's that's how I got in. I, I once I graduated in 2013, I, I got my foot in the door, um, did a combine because you know that's how they kind of like an entry, like a barrier of entry to get in the sport is just doing a combine and like testing your athletic ability to get invited to rookie camp, and did that. One thing led to another. Uh, you know, did well, went through team trials, national push champs. Uh, then after the first season. Um, in 2014, uh, that's when, you know, I just did that full quad, uh, took two years off a world cup in 2018 through 20, and then came back in 21 and 22 for, for those two years, but still, still 
still kept training during that time. And then that's how we met. Um, after I got back from the 2018 Winter Olympics in Korea, I was taking time off. And that's how we got connected because I went to the regionals in Del Mar in what, May, I think, May or June. Oh, that is right. Yes. And then um, I was there. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, one of my buddies, because uh, I work out at a CrossFit gym, I don't do CrossFit, but I work out at a CrossFit gym. Uh, his name's Joe, Joe Dunleavy. Yep. Um, yeah, and he's the one who's like, hey, you should go talk to that guy over there. He's trying to he's thinking about trying out for the team. I'm like, all right, well, do it. And then we ended up talking for like an hour or so. So I do remember um, at the, the Del Mar Fairgrounds out in California. That's back when I was working at CrossFit Invictus. Yeah. And I just, yeah, like maybe the month before is when I decided, I was like, all right, maybe I should try out for bobsled. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I remember like the seeing like your results and then, um, and then Chad started talking about a guy named Kyle Wilcox. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And then, yeah. <laughs> so for uh, obviously nobody outside of the, our fellas group knows the dynamic between you and Kyle. I've talked about Kyle on this podcast a few times because we had that bet uh, for the open doing CrossFit and then he ended up hurting himself. So we decided to mutually cancel the bet, but the, the love that you have for Kyle and the way that you express it is amazing because it comes out as hate. Like you absolutely hate Kyle, but Kyle, Kyle loves that you hate him for one, because he thinks it's amazing. It's it's your way of showing affection. (laughs) But hate, hate is a love language. <laughs> hate is hate is definitely Carlo's love language. Two things, like fun facts about Carlo, and I'll probably sprinkle these in th- throughout the time that we're talking. Carlo's absolute favorite time of the day is the morning, and the earlier the better. The worst. <laughs> Obviously, the worst. So, my some of my most memorable moments about you, Carlo, is being on tour. And having to have a breakfast time because we had to go out at a certain time. And those early mornings when Kyle wakes up and he's this the cheeriest of the cheeriest. And you are the exact opposite. You are you're Oscar the Grouch in the morning. You are like <laughs> the bottom of the trash can, ready to just not talk to anybody, be grumpy, and that's how you are. So seeing that dynamic between you and Kyle every single day was absolutely incredible. Because at the training center, it's, you can just work. sleep in. Like you, we wouldn't see you at breakfast. And then, I know. I did that on purpose. Yeah, and then we would go push at ten o'clock or whatever it is, and you'd you'd be there. Like so, like when we're on tour, and you have to be down to breakfast at seven or eight o'clock because we have to leave at nine and go do all the sled work and everything. That dynamic, that's a different Carlo. That's a fun Carlo to play with. Yeah, I hope I hope no one experiences that. Um, for the ones who have, obviously, now it turns into a running joke, and they try to see how tips they can make me. Um, like calling you at seven in the morning on your birthday. Yeah, that 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 would do it. Yeah, <laughs> Af- after kind of mini celebrating the night before, so I was a little groggy. So why would I even think about answering it? Which is exactly what we did. We had a group chat, and we were calling Carlo at seven, and then we called you for like an hour straight. All of us were on a video chat yeah. together. There was probably 10, 15 of us on that call, and we're just calling. And you could see that you started just hanging up the phone because it would, you would click it, and it would immediately say denied, and then click it, denied. And then we're, 
just that enough yeah. was that gave us enough joy. It was like, all right, Carlo, Carlo knows. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was just yeah. For people who don't know, it was my birthday last week, and they try to call me, and I saw the calls. I mean, I put it on uh, Do Not Disturb after like a few calls, and I just I went back to sleep. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a hard sleeper, so. But I appreciate it. I, I know I, I appreciate it. And that was my way of showing showing the love by looking deny or decline. <laughs> and we, that's all we needed. We we're like, all right, he saw it. That's all we needed. Um, yeah. I called him later that day. Yeah, he did. Uh, one thing I want to get into is like your Olympic experience, the two times that you've been were drastically different experiences, obviously because we had the COVID Olympics this past Olympics and the one before that yeah. was a much different experience. Um, I guess dive into that first Olympic experience of what it was like, like being a first time Olympian and making it to that level and being able to compete on that world stage and then taking that time off and coming back and trying to do it all over again. I guess start off with like what that first yeah. experience was and then how was it different or just how was that experience comparing the two different from each other when you did it the second time? Yeah, it's, good question because people ask that a lot um so 2018 in korea was like any normal olympic experience that you hear in the past where you know there, there's obviously pre-covid everything was open it was it was a ton of fun a huge experience for me like a lifetime dream finally coming true and everything that people have said before saying what it should be like like happened so from like opening ceremonies to you know, just throughout the games, going to the different venues, the different fans being there. Uh, my, my mom and my sister came and to watch. And, you know, we had the P&G house. We had the Team USA house. You know, we had, you know, celebrities and, you know, big time names showing up to these events and watching. And then, honestly, this is, the coolest part was, you know, the whole country of Korea was so, like, pumped for this. Like they would come to every every event and sell the place out. It didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter if it was speed skating or you know uh, slalom events downhill or freestyle or bobsled. It didn't matter. They're they're packing the house, and it was, it was very very cool to see. Um, and it was just that's that's like you know one of the best experiences I've ever had, especially the the opening ceremonies. Um, now fast forward four years later during COVID in China, very, very different. And it kind of sucks. I say this a lot because I hope for the first time Olympians that were there, you know, take another shot at going for 2026 because the, the, the Olympics in China were nothing like what it should have been. It just felt like a, another World Cup event with COVID um, as like, you know, still going on. So there's, there's no one really there at the venues uh, besides like workers, volunteers, coaches, athletes, things like that. Maybe other athletes from other, other villages, um, but very, very, very few fans. And, you know, for someone like me, I'm sure you feel the same way. And a lot of other people feel the same way too. Like, like I feed off the energy of a crowd, um, which is why like going to Europe is so awesome because people people love it there. People love winter sports. So, so having that dynamic, not there, 
I, you know, we had a, we were forced to adapt to that and find a way to rise our level performance. Um, you know, in my case, it just means more caffeine, but, um, but yeah, just, just the whole, like besides like the racing and, and the like practicing and just going to the venues and stuff, it just sucks that, you know, those first time Olympians couldn't experience, you know, what Olympics should be because it was way off the mark. Now, nothing against China. I thought China did a great job hosting, um, given, you know, COVID protocols and what the IOC put in place. But man, yeah, it's just, it's just unfortunate how, how different the two, uh, Olympics were. That's a lot of what I've heard as well. Obviously like you, or we had you, Hakeem, were you guys the only two returning Olympians for this past games? Everyone else was first time Olympian for the guys. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, and like Hakeem said the same thing and, and then Josh, poor Josh, um, you know, he had to stay behind for like two weeks before even coming to China because he tested positive while we're at the holding camp in San Diego, um, in Chula Vista. So he couldn't even come with us, uh, from LAX, um, for those first two weeks, couldn't even walk in the opening ceremonies. And some athletes had to do the same thing. Like some athletes had their whole Olympic experience ruined and couldn't even compete because they tested positive, whether it was real or false, false negative or false positive. Um, yeah, it, it just, it just, yeah, it wasn't the same feel and, and it just sucks for people who like, couldn't even compete because of that. Um, especially in the summer games and when it was in Tokyo in 2020. Like, it was, just, it was just brutal. Right. And then that Olympic experience from the first Olympics to the second, after your first games was over, was your plan always to take two years off and then come back? Or were you, like, up in the air on whether or not you were going to come back at all? Yeah. Uh, it was always to keep the door open. And the plan was to do some NACs with Frank. So I did the NAC, like literally the first NAC, his first international race with Frank in Park City um, that November of 2018. And and I, I just trained for three weeks for that. <laughs> I was, I was kind of like off the couch. But I mean, I still had like residual, you know, training from, you know, from the previous year because it was so close. It was like only six months apart, eight right. months, whatever. Yeah. So... So I still had something left at least. And we did pretty well. Like we were, we were sitting third after the first heat. I think we ended up getting six out of like 25 sleds. There's a lot of sleds in that race. Um, and then I, I wanted to do another one, but just couldn't make it work for that year. And then uh, I was coming up for nationals the year after, right when COVID happened. And, it got canceled. and I was literally driving up as they canceled. I got the email, like landed in Albany, I think Frank Frank did pick me up, and as we're driving up, like that's when they announced it. So I kind of just, you know, enjoyed my week in there. I guess <laughs> two two days just with a few guys, just kept up, like held up in a house, and we were just we were just drinking. That's all we could do. Um, so yeah, because that so that that kind of sucked. Um, yeah, that, it just it just it just sucked. But but yeah, that was always the plan was to. to to come back 
full time. I just didn't know when, but COVID kind of opened the door for saying, Hey, I can actually work remotely and compete and train in Lake Placid if I wanted to. So it kind of, I want to say it kind of expedited my decision. Um, and then the other thing too, that really sucked. And I know you felt this too. Everyone felt it, how we were, we were robbed of our, um, you know, world championship bid in Lake Placid for 2021. Yes. Like we were hundred percent. Um, out of like the, we were, we had an opportunity to do well. Yeah. Out of those four years, we only ended up having, I think two world cup races, no one world cup race mm-hmm. because of COVID because COVID came in and shut everything down. We were supposed to have world championships, uh, 2021 and everyone, all the guys were jacked for that. Everyone was like, just that's, yeah. that was the most important thing for us that year, regardless of how any other race went, it was, we're going to show up on our home turf and do well. And then we got robbed and then it was back to back world championships in Altenburg, which is the yeah. worst bobsled city in the world. There's, <laughs> <laughs> there's not a worse place. Yeah. There's great fans. It's not nothing against the people that live in Altenburg. It's just Altenburg itself is just the worst stop on tour every single year. Plus the track itself. It's a difficult track. You get beat up. And then really though, like you don't have the greatest food. You're eating donor kebabs every day just because you need to get some sort of calories in. Otherwise you're going to just shrivel down to nothing and there's no Wi-Fi. You're on the border of like Germany and Czech and there's just, (laughs) it's, the worst stop yeah. on tour. So we, yeah, we definitely got robbed from that world championships, which is, which was a big deal for all of us. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on too, and we'll kind of lead this into like the post Olympic career for you is there's a lot of people and a lot of athletes who experience some sort of like post Olympic slump and not necessarily mm-hmm. just like physically or anything like that. It's just like, they've achieved this goal. It was the main goal that they've set out for their life for however many years it was. Um, you had a plan where you knew you were going to take some time off, but then step back into it at some point in time. So after that first Olympics, did you happen to experience any, any type of slump? And then after this last Olympics, have you also experienced any kind of slump where it's like, okay, everything's done. What now? Uh, yeah, I mean, no matter what, at the end of each season, especially in Bosla, because of the amount of beating we take, there is like a, a drop off. And I don't, I don't want to say like depression, but it almost feels like it because you're trying to maintain a level of performance so high that obviously you can't maintain that. And once you know mentally that it's done, you just crash. Um, so 18s, was pretty significant. Um, I took like two months off completely and I got really sick too. Like I got extremely sick um, just because that's what happens. And then didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I knew like I needed to find like something that was going to work towards a career. Um, so I, I fell into financial services on accident and I'll go into that a little later, like what I do now. Um, but then after getting out of it, like mentally, like I started feeling better, say after a year of not sliding, I was feeling better. Um, so it does improve, it does improve, but initially there is a, a big time slump in my opinion. Um, doesn't matter who you are. 
And then uh, after, say, China, after I got back from China, um, again, same thing. And jet lag really like took me over. I think second day, I was actually pumped. I thought I was going to beat it. I went to bed at like 10 p.m. And I thought I was going like, to wake up normal time. And I ended up waking up. I set no alarm. I woke up at 5 p.m. the next day. <laughs> and yeah, it was bad. And then, and then also I was just like, like it prolonged everything. Um, like had a little slump again. And like, you definitely feel it, especially for the months after you're still a little hazy mentally. Um, cause again, being in a sweat beats you up. So after a few months, you, you kind of start feeling like your normal self again. And for me, I was lucky because I, I got to go back to work and do what I was doing before. I could just, you know, cause I was part time before I can just fall back into what I was doing. Now I kind of, i try to start slowly back into it just to get my feet wet. But because of like the conversations of people wanting to know how Olympics went and, you know, conversations in the past of like them not being, not becoming clients, but they want to become clients. Now it got, it, it, it took my mind off of a lot of things, which is a good thing. And it was good for business, but then, you know, it, it would just still, I still felt the effects months later but now now like I'm, I'm in a great spot and you know got good momentum in the business again and full-time and stuff but for other athletes too it's just what i want to do is help them transition um out of whatever they're doing or help them figure out what they want to do because again i was in the same boat i mean i, I know you're in the same boat at some point whether it was like last year or in the past with crossfit um, like everyone has that, that lapse of like saying what, what's next. So that, that's part of what I want to help build a brand around is helping athletes figure out what they want to do after sports or how to transition to something that they're passionate about, that they can transfer their skill that they learned as an athlete into either business or whatever they want to do moving forward. So so that's something I actually, I, I've been thinking about and, and it's going to happen this year as far as like a brand goes. Yeah. And that's, that is really awesome. Cause I know personally on my side of things, I also had that slump once that last year was over. Um, it was just kind of that initial, like, what am I going to do? Like, cause I had no plans going back to bobsled. I knew bobsled was over. I was doing the four years and then I was going to be done. And also that mental side of like not trying to be at peak performance for two months straight week in and week out and then not having anything to do. Like you kind of get into this place where like you almost feel like you have to find something to do or otherwise you're just going to explode because you've been trying to operate at such a high level for such a long period of time. And then all of a sudden it's like literally mm -hmm. just done and then there's nothing left to do. Yeah. So that slump there is something that is very interesting on like how people kind of handle that. You've kind of handled that by transitioning into work and taking some of the stuff that you've learned from being an athlete and incorporating it into what you do as a profession now. And then knowing how that affected you personally and going through all that. Now you've got like your brand and things that you're trying to do and, and help other athletes kind of transition. Um, I know some people got hit much harder than others. Like for you and I, mm -hmm. we knew once bobsled was over what we were going to do. Like I had my businesses. I knew I was going to transition back into that, but I still wasn't prepared for just like 
smacking that wall of like, I have nothing to do. Like, even though I had a ton of stuff to do, it just felt like I had nothing to do. So going through that experience yourself, I think is great that you have that insight to be able to help other athletes transition out and kind of start something. Um, But I know other guys on the team specifically that I've spoken to, like they didn't know what they were going to do. Like they didn't know if they were going back. And then once they decided they weren't going back, they had no clue on like what their next step was going to be. And they hit that kind of slump, hit them a little bit harder. Uh, So Mm -hmm. what are some things that you've done from like your post sliding career now as a financial advisor, like what are some of the things that you've taken from your athletic career and being able to perform at such a high level on a physical standard and kind of like mold that into building up a successful career post athlete. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, it's, I mean, the biggest thing is, I mean, we have an advantage over everyone. We really do. Um, who wasn't an athlete or didn't, um, you know, have that same experience as like, you know, say a brotherhood or trying to get to the next level or the highest level of your sport. Um, or whatever it is you're doing. Cause I mean, you have the same mindset. I mean, it's all about mindset. Whatever I was going to do, it's always about being the best at it. Didn't matter if I had zero experience or all the experience in the world. Um, so I always wanted to be the best at something I was going to do. So diving in head first, hundred percent committing to it. I would say that's one of the biggest things that, um, people need to do if they want to, you know, uh, take whatever they've learned in the past and, and transfer it to whatever they're going to do. They can't just dive in, you know, half ass or 50%. I mean, you, you follow David Goggins, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so one of my, one of my favorite analogies that he has is like, if someone asked me the other day, like, how do I commit to something? You can't just go in and dip your toe in the pool. See how cold it is. You can dive in head first. Like, you know, that, that kind of speech. Um, so that, that's like the best way I can relate it to, um, you know, there's, there's no substitute for hard work either. Like the amount of work you put into something, you want to be rewarded for it. So that's the other reason why I went into like entrepreneurship and being 1099 and being a business owner is because you are rewarded for the amount of work you put in. And you know, this, um, like, you know, any, any W2 job, I'm not saying like it's bad, but I'm saying like, you're, you're just stuck. And you can quickly become unmotivated in those spaces. Right. Um, but if you pursue something and, you know, you see that there's a, there's a problem um, with something that you're passionate about, then you should create a business that helps solve it. Um, and that's going to, that's going to take everything that you learned in the past and put it into that. Um, and you're going to find a lot of gratification in that. Um, and you're going to be motivated to build it. So, that's that's definitely one thing, a couple things that that you know athletes should do, hundred percent. Because again, we're we're ahead of the curve, and we should be putting everything we've learned towards that. Um, you know, the amount of reps we've done, you know, we've put in so much effort into whatever sport it is. The amount of reps we do, it's just going to carry over, and we just got to do as many reps as we can, so we can feel confident in whatever we're doing next. Right. Um, Cause when I started this business, I had no idea what to do. I really didn't. I, I, I sound like an idiot. I was like, <laughs> I was like, man, this, this is, this is tough. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make this work, but I just kept chiseling away at it and was dedicated to it and wanted to make this work. And now I'm in a position where 
like I, I feel like I'm a, a top expert in my field because I'm focusing on one thing. I'm not trying to focus on many things. I try to I try to learn everything, obviously, but once I know what I want to like do and what I want to focus more of my time on, I'm going to say, hey, I'm very good at maybe one or two things. And if it's something else that a client wants to talk about, I mean, the, the cool part about financial planning is I can literally point them in other directions because I've, I've met so many people and networked with so many people. I'll say, hey, you should go talk to this person. You should go talk to that person. Or if they're not looking to get in the industry, I'll say, hey, if you, if you want to look into going into another industry, go talk to that person. So it's all about connecting people. Um, you know, I, I, just, I just always like adding value to whoever I talk to. So just as long as I'm doing that, I feel, I feel content. You know, I, 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 that's, that's helping someone out, even if it doesn't directly help me. So, um, and outside of that too, uh, you know, we set goals, right? So same thing, you set goals in business, you make up a game plan or a blueprint and then you execute it. Same thing. It's like, it's like a program, right? you know, say, Hey, I got, I got six by six today at 180 kilos. All right. How do I, how am I going to do that? How am I going to prepare for it? How am I recover after it's the same thing. You have a blueprint, you got to execute it. Um, and another another thing too that I would say that has always helped me is never being complacent. Um, always having to prove yourself, whether it's just to yourself or if you've got to prove yourself to others, fine, but never being complacent and always like working on something and being a student of whatever you're doing and knowing that you don't have all the answers. So that's also helped me. Um, and just being you. That's another big thing. People think they have to become another person. And a, a lot of athletes think that they can't do anything else because they're just identified as an athlete. Mm. That's not true. It's like you, you can easily transfer your identity into something else and continue to be yourself within that space where a lot of people think they have to become someone else. That's not true. I, I, I fell into that trap and then I realized what I like, this is stupid. This is not me. And I became myself and good started. Good things started happening. Right. So, so yeah, never, never lose, never lose who you are. Like always be yourself in whatever it is you're doing. Damn. That's incredible. Yeah. I think all, like everything you're saying there, being able to take those intangibles from being an athlete, moving it into business. Uh, I do agree. I think athletes make, not only the best employees, but I think they make the best entrepreneurs or people that have had to go through some sort of high performance output and know how to deal with those stresses and push themselves on days that they want to and days that they don't want to. I think that is what helps people kind of break past the others that have, like you said, like the W2 mindset of like you're stuck there. No matter how much harder you work, your W2 says you're going to make this many dollars per hour, yeah. per year, et cetera, et cetera. So, all right, yep. sw switching gears. Fun facts about Carlo. I want to know, I, I know what the number used to be, but I want to know what the number is now. How many individual type beers have you checked in on the untapped app? Man, we're, we're, we're approaching 3,500. 3,500 3, different types of, so it's not like yeah. Bud Light, Michelob, like, Carlo is a beer. Different names. <laughs> yeah, everything. Carlo is a beer connoisseur. This guy knows head brewers across the country. He's got 
apparently he's got a thousand dollar bottle of beer that's the only one left in the world that he's just got sitting in his room. Um, yeah. he's yeah. in different groups where people can trade beers and do all this stuff. We took a trip actually, um, before last season started yeah. where we all went down to Boston. We took the, this little eight seat Cessna plane from New York down to Boston, got in a car, drove an extra two hours to this brewery to just get two drinks because they limit how many beers you're allowed to have. So they give you a ticket uh, all because they had one specific type of IPA on tap that weekend. So we all made a trip <laughs> specifically to yeah. go do that. Carl was like, we have to go. This is the King Julius with three S's. It's going to be on, on tap. We have to go. They, they never do this. Triple J. Yeah. Triple J. Triple J. <laughs> no, they don't. So th- that's the type yeah, of King triple J. Yeah. They, they never done that. So that's that's the type of beer concert. So three thousand five hundred different types of IPA stouts, all sorts of whatever. Awesome. You've checked in enough awesome. beers where you have like a a special account on that app now, don't you? Uh, yeah, there's like a like a special like contributor um, badge you get. Um, but yeah, they're, they're they're starting to add like more things. You get you get badges like these imaginary badges that we that we shoot for. It's like it's like uh, going for achievements in video games, you know. It's like the same thing, same same concept. And you, we're going for these imaginary things just because it's just like, man, I gotta do it. Um, so it's just it's just funny how some people are crazy about some things, I guess. <laughs> and you happen to be just but, crazy about beer. Yeah, but don't forget, we we actually got like four cases of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you can buy the cans and then bring it back. But it wasn't on, on like. No joke, that was the best beer I've ever had. Like, hands down. Obviously, I'm not a beer connoisseur, and I don't have 3,000 check-ins and all that kind of stuff, but that is absolutely by far the best beer on tap that I've ever had. Yeah, it's juice. Yeah, it's juice. It's it's, it's 8.8% juice. It was amazing. All right, second second random fact about Carlo. Carlo, every November, would shave his mustache into, like, this incredible handlebar stash and our season goes on like basically our our world cup season starts every October ends in February. So every November, everyone knows Carlo just has this incredible stash. It's just, you've seen it on the, I've posted the Mr. November photo on my stories and on Instagram before that's Carlo. I'm actually, that's the photo I'm going to use to promote this episode, by the way. So you guys are welcome. Great photo. Yeah. <laughs> when, <laughs> When did that start? When when did you go? Shit, I can grow a amazing stash. Like how yeah, young? I feel like you started, were like twelve when that started. Well, I, I, I had to start shaving in like seventh grade or something, because um, I went to schools where you had to shave no matter what. Um, like when I got in trouble, like when they saw her like peach fuzz or whatever, um, in high school they they actually made you go in the bathroom and shave with a single blade. That's how I like got good at like you know, with just a single blade, but, um, I started experimenting in college cause I'm like, oh, I can grow a beard now. It's sweet. Um, and then in freshman year of college, I actually tried out the handlebar cause someone said I should, I should try it. And at that point I still had a little gap right here, or as people like to call the connecties, I call them that. <laughs> the um, and then after, yeah, after freshman year, it started filling in. So I'm like, this is sweet. So I started doing it more and more and started like trying out different styles. 
you know, I'm like, dude, this works. Um, so I kept doing it. And then uh, after graduating, when we had our first team photos in 2014, I'm like, I'm going to do a handlebar mustache. And I even asked, I even asked the coaches, I'm like, Hey, is it like, can I do this? And they're like, <laughs> they're like, you're an adult. Yeah. <laughs> like, do whatever you I'm want. Like, All right. Well, I'm doing it. Yeah, exactly. So I did it. And then it just, it just stuck where it was a thing every, you know, November. Uh, and then I I'd do it in March also, or I do it for special occasions, say like the Olympics or world championships. And it, again, it just stuck. And I, and then we started doing crazier things, you know, double mustache, Oh, uh, mutton chops, like the, it just—it became crazy. The double stash we, we, was incredible on tour. I remember that. Or yeah. did you do that at the training center? At the training center. Okay, that was on training center because I remember Cody absolutely hated it. So the double yeah, stash is there. He had his must. Carlo grew his, his mustache at the regular one, but then where you would have a goatee, he shaved it like another mustache, and it was thick enough and it shaped well enough where it literally. Like just looked like somebody had copy and pasted his mustache from his upper lip and just put it down below his bottom lip. So Carlos' mustache was incredible. the <laughs> The things that you the the wizardry that you can pull off with your facial hair is second to none. Especially any of the guys on the bobsled team. It's fun, it um, and yeah, like you said, copy and paste. It literally, double mustache looked like a copy and paste. Um, <laughs> That's how that's how good it was. <laughs> it took some time and effort to kind of put that together. All right, so this is this is one thing I want to. I've talked about this a lot, and I was on, uh, so I was on a, a YouTube video last month with my friend Zach. He has a YouTube channel, Zach Talender, yeah. and we were talking about uh, just like the start house and the experience and what it's like. And he was talking about how bobsled is just so fucking cool, and so. One thing I'm going to do when I have any of the bobsled guys on is I want you to explain or try as best as you can to paint a picture of your start house experience up until the point that your hands are on the handlebar. This is good. Um, yeah, because people always ask like what's the pre-race ritual. Um, so you know, we're, we're get to the track for a race, like probably two hours prior, just get the sled up there, things like that. And then we're probably at the top in the start house with probably hour 15 to spare. Cause we got to do park for May and all that stuff. Um, so once park for May is done now, it's like, that's like the 45 minute warning before the race starts. So now it's like, all right, let's, let's get in the, like get outside our minds right now. So you start, you start or continue your warm up. And for me, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the metal, hardcore, metalcore, like deathcore. I'm listening to the stuff that just gets you amped. And, and, uh, that's pretty much like everyone has their own separate routine. And once you get in the start house, it's just, everyone's got their headphones in or whatever. And everyone's just like doing their own thing, like either in the corner, like just staring into nothing or everyone's like grunting or yelling. And it's just, it's just pure, pure, just, just male dominance. <laughs> if you want to call it that. <laughs> the amount of testosterone that's in one like, of these start houses. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's wild. So, and then on top of that, people are taking caffeine. They're, they're putting on like, you know, 
tiger bomb. Like they're putting on like the, these muscle, these muscle rubs, you know, like just get your muscles on fire. Um, there's red hot people like red hot. Like I, for me, I, I, I didn't need that stuff. I was an atomic bomb guy. Yeah. Yeah. So some that stuff, like it's all, it's all a mental game, whether it helps or not, it doesn't matter. It's all mental. So if it, if you think it helps you, then it's probably going to help. You. Um, yeah. So, so for me, I would take a lot of caffeine leading up to it and I would space it out too. So I'm not like, like going too crazy, but like before the first heat of the race, I'm at like, I'm at like 800 grams, sometimes even 900. I'm close to a gram. And then from there, like I'm, I'm like grunting. I'm, I'm like, just like under my breath, just like kind of yelling, like just like getting myself psyched out. And like, people are going crazy in there. The Russians, oh, the Russians yelled. And, and by the way, it's like the smell, man, the smell <laughs> horrible. It's, it's just, Imagine, but you don't care. No, you don't. The best way I can describe a start house smell is like you had a football practice. Like it, as long as you played on grass, you'll understand this. You had football practice on grass one day when it was raining and everything just got wet. And then you go into the locker room and just, you left your cleats and your pads in the locker room and you came back the yeah. next day. That's how the, that's how every start house smells. It just like, you could tell like there's a lot of just sweat and uh, residual like just stank that's in your bag that's because these start houses aren't big it's not like everyone like it's basically imagine like a like a very small locker room with no lockers it just has benches everyone's got their gym bag with all their stuff in it and you're literally sitting shoulder to shoulder with everybody sometimes there's not even place to sit because the start houses are so small so it's like team usa is like shoulder to shoulder with canada shoulder to shoulder with russia and latvia like everyone's sharing the same space and like the smell in one of these houses is just it could be awful right i like how you said though like you would space out your caffeine you you (laughs) this is carlo's definition of spacing out he started this off by saying okay 45 minutes is when we're going to get started so that means like sometimes carlo will sip on like an energy drink as we're like doing park for may which is like us basically getting the sled ready so in a 45 minute span you space out your caffeine intake from zero to eight to nine hundred that's not spacing out carlo that's just some people don't have 900 milligrams of caffeine in a week you had 900 milligrams of caffeine in a 45 minute window. And I know that's not all you do. Cause I know you re up between heats. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say that. Like I, I, I wanted to finish like going from the star house to the, to the start line first, but, um, and yeah, going back to the, the star house too, like in some cases the bathroom is connected to the star house. So <laughs> now you got, now you got all that smell Blaine just said, plus, plus shit and dumps. <laughs> like, yeah, all that mixing in, it, it's just, it's wild. Um, but, but yeah, so, so once, once we're like, you know, five minutes away from us, um, like going, we got all of our gear on, we're all ready to go. Like our jackets, um, you know, things like that. Kind of like in track where you go out in your sweats to make sure you're staying warm. It's the same thing. We go out to the start line, making sure we're warm. You know, the, the vibes of like, you know, you about to like, Last of push bar is still very high. Like everyone's still in that mindset. And once we get the sled to the line, we have coaches helping us get the sled to the line. They don't want us to do any work, which is 
what it should be. And then once the, once the light turns green, where where it's just like I want to say I almost black out every time because I'm just like all right push bar like hear the cadence and 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 just just blast it and then and then from there you do so many reps that you don't need to think about anything like you're just you're like a machine at that point where you know what you need to do you just execute it and and that's it the next thing you know you're in the sled it takes a little bit to get to that point for first year people like when I'm my first year I had to think about everything. So I had to like, I, I, I try to be outside my mind, but at the same time, like, okay, I got to make sure I do everything right. But after that first year, it's just, I didn't have to think about anything. Cause we've done it so many times, so many reps. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, once you get down to the bottom, like you kind of like unwind a little bit, you're like, all right, like first tee out of the way, you know, let's go back up, do it again. And yes, I re up on caffeine in between those heats and I do another full heating scoop. So I go, I go from like, you know, the 800 within an hour, 45 minute span to another like 300 or so, maybe sometimes even more. So now I'm at over a gram of caffeine for the Olympics. I took like 1.3 grams. Um, I start crying in two weeks. So yeah. Cause you just, you start thinking about other shit. But, but yeah, it's just that 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 was my edge. That that was that was why I knew that worked for me. And you know, whenever I say it to other people, they think that their heart's going to explode. Um, now I never felt that, but I will say this: the come down afterwards could be brutal if you didn't drink enough water. But but because you're you're burning so much those days, I drink like two gallons of water on race days. Yeah. Because you're just, you have to. Yeah. You, you definitely um, do. It's not just five seconds of sprinting and going for a ride. Like it's a five seconds of sprint and then you're in like a fight. <laughs> like it's yeah. like the amount of wear and tear that you can take in just a single run, especially like depending on what track you're on, like you're in a legitimate fight. Like you're holding yourself as hard as you can, trying not to move. Plus you're just getting slammed around going, you know, almost 90 miles an hour on most tracks plus on some of them. So it's, it's a lot of work on the body and like you're, you're amped. And like you said, caffeine's going high and burning the calories and everything. You have to drink a ton of water. I've seen you hit with some bad come downs. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've had some bad ones. Really bad. I'll, I'll show you my, my worst one. Um, first year in the sport, 2014, we're, we're in Koenigsegg. And, uh, rest in peace. This is when I was like trying to, yeah, well, it'll be back. Um, but I was still trying to figure out like my, my pre-race kind of caffeine intake. So I tried something different that day. So I actually drank like a, a, a ton of Red Bulls, a ton. So I had like a normal size Red Bull, uh, as like my park for May drink. And then throughout the race, I did four, mini pack like a mini pack of four red bulls so long story short like i started i felt like bad jitters before the second heat and then after the race like man i was i had like those uh i had the chills big time yeah big time so i was i was at dinner that night like just try to like have like a, a an internal conversation with myself saying just 
don't die. Like, just, just breathe. Like, you're fine. Like, like I was having that, that internal conversation with myself. Like, hey, dude, just, we'll be fine. Just, just eat. Like, like, just, I was at dinner with like two hoodies on. Like, I, I literally had two hoodies on. People are like, are you, are you okay? I'm like, I'll, I'll be fine. Just, just let me eat. Um, that was, that was easily one of the worst come downs because I, I thought I was going to die. Like, Alex Harrison also asked Jimmy, asked Jimmy about, Alex Harrison and Winterberg in 2014-15 oh, World yeah. Champs. I know this. I know, I've heard this yeah, story he, many times. He, he literally overdosed on on, on stems. Yes. <laughs> like, like he was walking through the hallway after the race, like shirtless, going like, oh, oh hot flashes, hot flashes. <laughs> like, and then, and then Dr. Byrne quarantined him for like a day or two, saying, hey, don't, don't go in there. Um, he, he was so zapped, absolutely zapped. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I, I got, I got, I finally figured it out. I found a good range. Pre-workout's the way to go. Don't, don't overdo energy drinks. Energy drinks will, will make you feel that jitter, that bad jitter. All the, now that you bring that up, like the powder is definitely the way to go. It's just cause you don't have to yeah. also take in so much liquid with it at the same time. Like you can kind of control how much you're drinking. Like if you drink four Red Bulls, that's a lot of liquid that you're drinking down with that caffeine. But that reminds me, I don't know if that it was the year before you were there or the year you came back, but the, one of the Korean pilots, Wong, we were in the start house and he had one of those big Red Bulls, like not the regular size can, but the next size up. Yeah. So he yep. starts like drinking that during park for me, like in his warm up, and like he downs the whole thing, goes out, warms up, comes back inside takes another one of the big ones, pours it into a shaker cup, and then put pre-workout into the pre, uh, the yeah. Red Bull, drank all of that before <laughs> his first run, came back, and before his second run, drank two more of those big... So he had four of the big Red Bulls, plus pre... I remember... I know Kyle was there, because Kyle and I were watching this happening, like, this guy's going to die. Like, he just mixed Red Bull with his pre-workout, and he's chasing it with more Red Bulls. But that's like... yeah. That's legitimately how a start house is. Like I, it's hard to explain um, because if you've never experienced it, it's like trying to explain what a bobsled ride is. Like if you've never experienced a bobsled yeah. ride, there's nothing you can do in another sport that mimics what a bobsled ride is like. Like you, it's kind of yeah. like football, but it's not. It's kind of like track, but it's not. Like it's not. Like there's nothing you can do to mimic it. There's also nothing that we can really do that paints an exact picture of what a start house is like because in my experience of sport, like even in football, like in a locker room, it's not the same thing as a start house because you're not in the same room with like your competition. And it's yeah. not like, and it's also a very close knit community. Like everyone knows each other. All the athletes are like cordial and friendly with each other and everything until it becomes start house time. And then everyone's like, fuck you guys. Like whatever team you're on, like that's the team that yeah. you're on. But it's just, you got so like let's say there's 20 sleds in a in a race this day that means you're going to have four people on each team so you're going to have 80 dudes in a room everyone's pre-workouting up warming up but it's like the most like just diesel of humans that you've seen as well like everyone in there 215 220 230 pounds just monsters of humans sitting here just the amount of energy that you could feel in one of these start houses is incredible and then you yeah. got guys like Carlo I, I, down in a gram and a half of caffeine. 
people have the weirdest little quirks. Like first time I saw that, like we just said, they, they put pre-workout um, mixed in with their energy drink. I've done that. And let's just say like, Oh man, <laughs> you haven't tried it before. I would recommend trying it because on a day that you're about you to like go for like a that. PB or something like don't just randomly do it. No, no, no. And, and build up some tolerance too. Like just don't do it cold <laughs> Turkey. Um, cause that man, let's just say you become very happy in a very sick way. Cause you're like, this is amazing. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a drug. It's it, like a drug. It's oh, like, it's like an upper, like hundred percent. And you take, let's yeah. say you take 600 milligrams and you have a, a, an amazing lift or an amazing race or whatever it is that you're doing. Then you're going to be like, I have to be at 600 and then 600 doesn't hit anymore. Now you got to be at 700 and then 700 doesn't hit. And then you got to go to the eight and then it just, then it gets to a point where it's like, it's dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even it does, it does get dangerous, but there is a ceiling. Like there there is like an absolute max. Um, like obviously you don't take as much as you can, but like, I would say like once I get over a gram, like I feel I feel very, very good. Yeah. <laughs> which is an absurd amount because some people drink yeah, one Red Bull, which has like maybe 200 milligrams in it, and they're just bouncing off the walls, and you're over here at a gram, and you're just like ready to yeah. chew through steel. Yeah, it takes nerves <laughs> out of the equation. It does. It really it does. does. All right. Yeah. So, I guess last thing that we can end on here, uh, favorite track and – Least favorite track and why? Uh, favorite track, St. Moritz, mm. like by far. It's just, I mean, one, it's you're, you're in Switzerland. Two, it's the only naturally made track, which means the guys actually come in and actually have to build it by scratch every year. And it's cool because it kind of changes the dynamic of the track every year. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it puts, it gives every team a chance, in my opinion, especially if. Um, like say for example, you're not a good pushing team. Like it gives a really good driver a chance to make up time down the track and compete. Yeah. Like it really does. It's it's the longest track too. It's like a little slow over a mile. It's like 1800 meters, I think. But yeah. Um. So that it's quiet, smooth. Um, it's like almost almost sunny all the time. It's just it's just a good place to be. It really is. Um. Worst, worst track. We've already discussed it. It's Altenburg. <laughs> Altenburg is the worst track. I think that's going to be everyone's um, answer. It's just like you're in this tiny little East German town, and like there's again, it's, it's a dead zone. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no service. If you do have service, you have like two G. That's like the highest you get. Um, and then. The track is hard enough as it is. Like, it's a good track if it's driven correctly. It's actually very nice. But, you know, a lot of pilots have a tough time. So, you know, I've crashed there, like, I think I've crashed there four times. Like, more than half my crashes have come at Altenburg. So, yeah, it's just, man, it it just, it turns you into a different person. That's for sure. It changes you. Altenburg changes. (laughs) the, the longer you're there, the the more crazy you get and more anxious you get. Um, and again, nothing to do with the people. The people are great. The fans are great. 
you're, you're close to Dresden. So you get a lot of the Dresden crowd over down there. Um, but at the end of the day, the, 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 the whole environment just sucks. Um, yeah. And wait, was that a three part question or is that just worse than best track? Just worse than best and why? I mean, that's, that's, those are my answers. Yeah. St. Moritz is by far the best. I've never been in St. Moritz and had bad weather. It's always, obviously it's freezing cold, but it's always blue skies and sunny. The track is great. It's like yeah. just a great place to be. The The hotel that we stay at in St. Moritz is awesome. Great food. Everything you could ever want is there. Yes. And then the exact reasons with Altenburg, it is, I've never seen a good day's weather in Altenburg. I've never had a good no. run. Like I've had good runs, but I've never felt good after any of the run. Like you just always feel like you're getting your ass kicked and that's, like, so doing two spot, definitely. Yeah. You just, you feel like you're just getting just left hook, right hook to the head every single time. Like Altenburg is such a rough track that they made a, the, that last season before the Olympics, they made a crash compilation and it was like a four minute video just from that one week. It wasn't like what happened throughout like a period of time. It was just one week of training and races. It was just carnage. It's just getting yeah, people getting absolutely bad. rinsed there. Yeah, it was very bad. Yeah, the only one day of bad weather we had was uh, twenty one um, when it was dumping snow that that day of training. Yeah, and we were trying to get we we're trying to get out um, or park the truck, and then Kyle backed it into that <laughs> stupid spot, <laughs> and then we couldn't get out. And the guy, because the guy, we parked it. The guy, the guy said we had to move, and we're like, oh, we, we got to go up to the top, but we got to practice. And the guy's like, no, you got to move. And then Kyle, we're, we we were pretty much down there until our first first practice heat. Yes, because the truck got stuck. Yeah, like our warm up yeah. was us trying to push the truck. We didn't get it out until after we were done. So we tried moving the truck yeah. and it wouldn't move. So we had to we had to leave. We went and warmed up. It was luckily it was a training day, so we were able to kind of just like go through the motions and do our training. But then when we got done, yeah. remember we had to find somebody else with their truck to come tow us out. This is Yeah, that guy, that random guy. Yeah, the random dude in the truck was like, oh, I could help you guys. Yeah. Like everyone else just like drove by watching us. This is also a great example of yeah. why Carlo loves Kyle. Because Kyle <laughs> Kyle got the truck stuck more than once that year. I told him not to park there. And what does he do? He parks there. <laughs> and, plus, and plus, our chains were broken. The chains. the chains wouldn't work. Right. So bad. We had the worst chains. Like, like uh, the rental companies are like, what are the worst chains we could put in these, these cars and <laughs> trucks? Let's get those. Oh, like, okay. That's, that's what it was. I got, all right, this is what we'll end the episode on. So this is that same, same uh, St. Moritz day or same yeah. race week. So uh, yeah. it was that was actually the one day that I've ever seen it like snow in St. Moritz. Otherwise, it's just blue skies and sunny. So we had that experience like we had these shitty trucks with shitty trains. We were get with chains and we were getting stuck everywhere that we parked. Uh, a lot yeah. of that was because Kyle <laughs> continuously wanted to drive to prove that he could drive a stick. And he kept just choosing the worst spot because he would just panic. And when he would panic, he'd be like, I'm just going to pull in here. And he would just, like, you cannot park here. And now we're stuck. So. I remember that race gets over. Uh, I think we like we didn't we weren't allowed to go back to the hotels or anything. Like have a late checkout that day. So that year, you and I always road tripped everywhere that we went. And 
we had the 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 blue Jeep Wrangler, and we we're leaving St. Moritz, and we're going up this mountain. Oh. <laughs> so we're going up this mountain. No, we're going down it. Yeah, I know, but I mean, like, at first we were going up the mountain, and it's like a tall mountain. Like, if you, we got to the point where we're like at the top of the mountain road, and we're starting to come down. Like, this is probably 30, 40 minutes after we've already left St. Moritz. And on one side is like a, I don't even know if there's a guardrail. There may have been a guardrail, but it's basically a cliff. Like, if you were to drive off of that cliff, you're dead. And Carlo and I are sitting in this Jeep Wrangler, and out of nowhere, <laughs> I don't know like where the ice came from, what happened. We're going on like freeway speed. So we're going like 70, 80 out of nowhere. We just flip a 180 and we're facing the van behind us. And it was one of the German teams driving their truck. And then out of like, you corrected it, spun it back the other direction. And we got to like the very edge of that cliff right back in our lane and I'm looking out the window, looking down, like, holy shit, we're about to die. <laughs> and then we just stop on the on the freeway. The German truck comes passing by us. And both you and I look at each other like, that was wild. Like, that was the most insane thing ever. Because there was no ice on I, the road I, anywhere. And then all of a sudden, we're just facing the opposite direction, going backwards. Like, holy shit. Yeah, it, that, that was wild because, yeah, I remember it clearly. We're going down the hill and it just, it, we just did like a small, like little, little left hand, like kind of just stir, like I barely touched the steering wheel, put it that way. And next us, it just put us in a skid. And then we went, we went left, we went right and then did the 180 and then spun it back around. <laughs> and the, uh, yeah, the German truck went by, like we looked at them, they waved at us. <laughs> yeah. They, they waved. And then I look at you and we didn't even say anything. We're, we're just like, <laughs> I was in shock. And then I put it and then, you know, I, I was in shock too. And we put it back in gear. And then literally like a second later, once we started driving again, I'm like, dude, like we almost just died. <laughs> like, Cause there was no guardrail. It was just a ravine and it was a deep ravine. It was huge. Um, very deep ravine. And it's just funny. Cause like, it just, it's like one of those like un we didn't like, we didn't talk for like that, that initial moment is like, like we made eye contact. Like, yeah, that was, we almost died. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, um, four hours later, we stopped at the rest stop and that German team was there. And remember, uh, I don't remember who was driving, but I remember you asked him, was like, did you guys see it? And the German guy was like, yeah, we thought you were just having fun. <laughs> like, no, we that was what, died. no, that, that was at the track the next day. That was at the track the next day. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, because they're, they're just like, yeah, we just thought you were having a good time. <laughs> like, no, we almost died. Like, they, they all started laughing. Like, I'm like, no, dude, like, we were fucking out of control. <laughs> um, yeah, luckily, we, 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 we took that, you know, those driving course or driving lessons in ice, like, when I first started the sport. Otherwise, ooh. We wouldn't be, having, bad, we wouldn't but, be having this episode right now, that's for sure. Yeah, no. No, definitely not. That was that was one of those wild moments. And then there's like another time too. We went from uh, where we're coming from. I think it was the same trip because it was snowing. It was snowing the whole time. It was from St. Moritz to Kuningsee, and we were going through Germany, and it was just snowing. Is that when and, I got uh, hypnotized? It's black. Yeah, you're just like you're just like this, you're like, <laughs> like 
I looked over and you were just like staring blank into the snow. And it, it was kind of like going like in warp speed where the snow is just, you know, coming at you in pitch black Yeah, with cars in front of you. Everyone was going slow, but it was just, yeah, it was mesmerizing. Like you just get lost in it. <laughs> I do. I do remember that. Cause I remember you said something and I was just like, I blacked out. Like, because if anybody's drove in the snow at night and you just like, you have your headlights that make the snow look bright and you're just driving forward and it's like that, like you've seen it on like YouTube or whatever. It's like the, it's like the continuous video of like the snow just flies past the windshield and it's all looking the same. Yeah. And, and like, I remember I just was sitting there and just staring. Yeah. And then you asked me, it was like, dude, are you okay? And I, it like woke me up and I didn't realize I was, I don't even know how long I was sitting there. It felt like forever. And, but I was just staring at the snow. Yeah. I got totally hypnotized by it and didn't say a word for probably two hours and just stared forward. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was a slow drive because it snowed the whole way. That was a very long, yeah. It was like a, I can't remember how long that road trip was supposed to be, but it ended up like we, we were the last ones to check in that day at that next hotel. Yeah. It's, it was supposed to be like a five to six hour drive because it's in between. Um, cause Eagles is in between and usually it's a two to two and a half hour drive to Eagles from St. Moritz. And then it's like a two hour drive from Eagles to Koenigsegg or two and a half hours. So it took like eight or nine hours. Yeah, I think it might even took 10. It was a, it was a all day thing. It was insane. All right, yeah, Carlo, where, so. where can people find you? Whether it be if they want to follow you on social media, if they want some financial advice, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, I'd say Instagram is, is a good way. Just Carlo Valdez underscore USA, um, LinkedIn. Um, just again, Carlo Valdez. When I have OLY as like a credential on there. Um, those are the best ways to reach out. And then from there, you know, people want to talk more than, yeah, exchange contact information, you know, stuff like that, do a meeting or connect or whatever, whatever people want to talk about or, Whatever they need, any questions, more than happy to answer them and any, facilitate. Any beer advice, so. reach out to Carlo. If you need to know what's the best IPA or best brewery, if you're on vacation, Carlo's the guy to reach out to. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that question a lot too. Like, buddies will text me and say, hey, what should I get? <laughs> like, I'm in this state, good. in this town, what should I get? Oh, I've been there. This brewery is right down the street. It's just like, how have you been to every brewery? Yeah. Well, it, you, you hear about stuff and I mean, kind of like they have on untapped, it's like a beer map. So it, it can literally tell you where to go, um, verify locations, what they have, their menus. Like it's pretty sweet. So yeah. Awesome. It's quick information. It is. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming. It was an awesome episode. Next up will be another one of the fellows. We'll keep that a secret though. So appreciate you guys tuning in. See you next time.